Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus is speaking here about being drawn by God, a truth we do well to remember. We have believed in Jesus because we have been drawn to him by the Father. All who come to Christ, according to Jesus here, are drawn to him by the Father. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59, in a message titled, Satiated by the Son of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So here we are in our Gospel of John and looking once again at this sixth chapter. And here in the sixth chapter, just you know, remember the background. It all begins with this miracle that Jesus performs of feeding the multitude with these two small fish and few loaves of bread. And so this has impacted the people in an extraordinary way, except it hasn't really penetrated spiritually to them. It's more, man, this guy, he's taking care of all of us. Let's follow him and see what else he's going to do for us. And so Jesus is correcting that throughout this long chapter here. And notice that it says that all of these things happened, this conversation that's going on, the debate to some extent, the teaching of Jesus, all of this happens in the synagogue in Capernaum. But as we're going through this, Jesus, he again, he's talking about life. He's offering them life. He's re-emphasizing once again that he is the source of life. And so our theme, life in his name, John's gospel is about life. It is about real life, fullness of life, abundant life. What Jesus is offering to humanity is a quality of life that is other than, greater than anything we can know or attain on our own. Jesus came into the world to give this life to all who will come to him. And here in these verses we read, we see once again Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life, promising that those who come to him will never again hunger or thirst. He claims an extraordinary place amongst humanity, that that he is the one and only person who can bring ultimate and complete satisfaction to us. He is saying, through me, human beings will find their ultimate fulfillment. And in making these kinds of statements, Jesus is claiming to be and to do things 
that can only rightly be said of God. And so that's part of the reason why the people are offended. He's setting himself apart and he's making these exclusive claims. And so as we come to verse 42, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. And then he says this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. So there are a few statements here in this long portion that we read that we need to pay closer attention to. And so this is the first one that we need to consider. Jesus is speaking here about being drawn by God. A truth we do well to remember. We have believed in Jesus because we have been drawn to him by the Father. All who come to Christ, according to Jesus here, are drawn to him by the Father. We don't realize how deep sin has affected our hearts and our minds. But sin has affected us so deeply and so thoroughly that if we were left to ourselves, we would never have made our way to Jesus. So it's just a good thing to remember that I'm a follower of Jesus because he sought me out. I mean, that, that picture is repeated over and over again in the scriptures, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is what? He's the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? Well, if a sheep is lost, he goes and seeks out that lost sheep and brings back that lost sheep. And we're given this picture of God seeking us out in all different kinds of ways, sometimes in sort of parable form or story form. But then we're also told very straightforwardly things like we love him because he first loved us. So it's important to recognize this, that, that at the end of the day, we, we, we often use the term to describe our experiences, you know, I was seeking after God. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but I'm just saying that we need to remember that we're seeking after God because he sought after us. But isn't that a wonderful truth to really grab hold of? That God went looking for you, specifically, individually, personally. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Because as I said, if we were left to ourselves, we would have never come to the Lord on our own. And scripture makes this clear over and over again. Ephesians chapter two tells us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Second Corinthians four reminds us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of 
those who do not believe. 2 Timothy 2 tells us that the disobedient have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Taken captive, held captive. 1 John chapter 5 tells us that the whole world lies in the grasp of the evil one. So those are just a few passages that, that tell us about our natural condition, our plight. That if we were left on our own, we would have continued to go astray. Remember Isaiah's prophetic word that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. And that is the trajectory of our lives. We would have continued to go that way were it not for the fact that the Father drew us. Now, we have to talk a little bit more about this whole idea of God drawing people to himself because some see in this passage. So let me just say this. Verse 44, it's one of the proof texts that people who hold a certain theological position will go to to support their position. So in many circles, John 6, 44 is a very famous verse because this is the verse that tells them and others that their particular view of salvation is the correct one. So what is that view? Some see this passage as proof that God only chooses certain people to be saved and either predestined or simply left everyone else to perish. So there is a perspective. There's a theological position that says that God has chosen, which we do agree that God has chosen. The scripture says God has chosen. But this position is that God has chosen some to life and either predestined or left other people to perish. And those who espouse this view would also say that Christ did not die for everyone, but he only died for the elect. So John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, they would understand the world as being the world of the elect, not the world in the sense of the totality of all humanity. So that is what then becomes known as two points, unconditional election, point number one, God chose, and point number two, limited atonement. The atonement that Jesus provided was limited to just to the elect. So how do we respond to that view? If you haven't come across that, at this point in your Christian life? Well, you probably will sooner or later. And it's not just that you will come across it through people. You will come across it through, through reading, through reading books. And I, I want to make clear that those who hold this position, I, I'm not here to demonize them or to say that they're bad. I don't think that. I actually have many friends who hold this position I just do not believe that that is really what Scripture is saying. So this is a, a bit of a, an apologetic against the 
Calvinistic position. That's what we're talking about here. So what do we conclude when we look at verse 44? Let me read it again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Well, first thing to note is this. The passage itself doesn't actually say anything about those who don't come. Notice that. He says, all who come to me. He doesn't say anything about those who don't come. It simply says, all who come are drawn by the Father. Secondly, we know from other verses, 1 Timothy 1.4, for example, that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God makes that crystal clear. He desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter says something very similar in his second letter. He says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants everyone to be saved. If God is not drawing certain people, it is because of his foreknowledge. And I say, if God's not drawing certain people, because I'm not convinced that he's not drawing everyone, at least at some point. And perhaps there is a point where he is no longer drawing them. But let's just say there are certain people God is just, he's not drawing them to himself why would he not be drawing them to himself? We know that it can't be because he doesn't want them to be saved because he's already told us in a number of places that he, he does want them to be saved. So if he's not drawing people, it's because in his foreknowledge, mean, meaning knowledge in advance, he knows who will and will not respond to his offer of grace. So this is something about God that is true. God possesses foreknowledge. He knows everything in advance. That's revealed in predictive prophecy. God tells the future in minute detail hundreds or even thousands of years before it happens. How can God do that? Well, he knows all things. He has foreknowledge. So foreknowledge could be the answer to God not drawing certain people. But as I indicated, I believe that he even seeks to draw those who in the end he knows will never respond. See, I I believe that he does do that. And I believe it on one level because I think I've witnessed it. I have seen God at work in people's lives, seeking to draw them to himself and them resisting. But more importantly than what I've observed, I think the Bible actually teaches this. In Hebrews chapter 6, The author speaks of those who have, number one, been enlightened, two, tasted the heavenly gift, three, shared in the Holy Spirit, and four, participated in the powers of the age to come and nevertheless perish. 
So just that description there, how do you taste of the heavenly gift or partake of the Holy Spirit if it's not that God has, in some sense, been seeking to draw you to himself? And so let's just understand that those who are not coming, Jesus is speaking to them and he's saying, don't grumble because no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. If God's not drawing them, it's because he knows that they will not respond. But on the other hand, in the very text itself, God is obviously seeking to draw them because he's there in front of them inviting them to come to him. So we needed to address that, even though it's sort of outside of what our main point is today. Our main point is what Jesus is talking about here when he's inviting us to feed on him. But we need to look at the language that Jesus is using. So he's using this offensive language, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Verses 53 through 56, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Jesus is using language that is purposely meant, really it's meant to challenge them to think and go deeper than their surface interest in bread. Remember, that's the background. He's done this miraculous thing as a sign that they would recognize him as the bread that came down from heaven that would give life to the world. But they're just thinking about the fact that this guy, he supplied us with amazing bread. So, He's wanting to, in a sense, shock them out of their spiritual complacency. I mean, this is shock language right here. And it is especially shock language to a Jewish audience. If he was preaching among cannibals, they would have just thought, okay, (laughs) whatever you say. We do that all the time. Non-cannibals would be probably offended, but Jews would be exceedingly offended because if there was anything that was made crystal clear in Jewish law is that you were never to drink blood. Drinking blood was absolutely forbidden because as Leviticus says, the life of all flesh is in the blood And God said, I've given it to you upon the altar. But it was strictly forbidden to drink blood. And of course, to eat human flesh would have been just as equally forbidden because Jews were not to not only not drink blood, but they were not to eat 
any unclean flesh. And there were a variety of animals that they couldn't even eat, much less eating a human body. And so, again, Jesus is wanting to shock them out of their complacency, and he's really wanting them to understand that what he's calling them to is something that is so deep and it is so all-consuming that it would be like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So the question then is what exactly is happening here? And let's just Today's a little bit of a, unintentionally, but it's just in the text, but it's, it's a little bit of an apologetic session today, first about those reform doctrines, but now we have to address some other false teaching within the church. And so Jesus is not speaking literally here. That's the thing to just know up front. He's not speaking literally like the Roman Catholic Church has taught. They see these words as support for the doctrine of transubstantiation. Any of you raised in the Catholic Church here? I I was too. So transubstantiation, for those of you that were raised in the church, you might remember this from catechism. For those of you that were not, Perhaps you've heard about this or you're going to get um, a bit of an education on it now. Transubstantiation is the idea that there is a miraculous thing that takes place during the Mass. You know, the Mass is all centered around the Eucharist. And that's why there's a daily Mass, because every single day there needs to be the opportunity to partake of body of Christ. Because in the Catholic mind, the bread and the cup, they go through a change of substance, transubstantiation. They go from being common elements like bread and wine to becoming, in their theological view, the actual body and blood of Jesus. So that when, as a Catholic, you go to Mass and the opportunity for the Eucharist comes and you go up to the priest or the deacon or the lay person who's serving communion and they give you the wafer and they say, this is the body of Christ. They mean that literally. That's Roman Catholic teaching. We, of course, do not believe that that is what is happening. For the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Basic Christianity by John Stott. What did Jesus come to do? And in what ways does that make Christianity unique? 
Does it matter if the claim that Jesus rose from the dead a historical fact or not? And what's wrong with believing that Jesus was simply a great teacher? In his book, Basic Christianity, John Stott answers those questions and many more that are fundamental to the Christian faith and any genuine inquiry into understanding the historical Jesus. Ever since Jesus lived, he's been largely misunderstood by both religious and secular groups alike. But understanding who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he claimed are relevant for all people regardless of their current beliefs. If you're a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basics of the Christian faith. If you're not a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basic beliefs of millions in our global culture. If you want to know more about the basic beliefs of the Christian faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Basic Christianity by John Stott. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.